Hello, and welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we talk to real people who have overcome real challenges and are making our world better because of it. They have taken life's lemons and are making lemonade. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Dr. Angela Trigo. Welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I'm so looking forward to getting to know you even better and hearing your lemon to lemonade story. So first, start out by telling me just a couple of things about yourself. I am a rocket scientist, which is kind of cool. But more importantly, I was the first LDS woman to graduate with my PhD in mechanical engineering from Brigham Young University. So that in and of itself has some definite nuggets associated with it. But before I was a nerd and geek, I was actually a gym rat. Uh, I played three sports in high school and I played division one volleyball. And also after college was a ranked beach volleyball player. So I do try and have a little balance in my life. Uh, And I think the other aspect is, is that one of my greatest loves is that I love to travel. I've been to 48 out of 50 states, and I've been to over 50 countries and six continents. Oh, man, that is goals right there. That's amazing. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you do for a living? So at the heart of who I am, I'm a teacher who wants others to succeed. As part of that, I'm a motivational speaker and trainer who specializes in empowering others to overcome the imposter syndrome and succeed at reaching their potential. Mm. For example, I train faculty and school counselors to assist students grappling with the imposter syndrome with a particular emphasis on the STEM disciplines, which are science, technology, engineering, and math. So when we connect, it's not just about inspiring you to conquer the world. It's about equipping you with the tangible tools to make it happen. Oh, I love that. Is there a lemon to lemonade story that comes from doing that? Like, is this something that you can take me back and tell me like, why did this even come about with you? Yeah, so I think like... A lot of people, life is not uh, straight up and and doing amazing things, right? There's a lot of zigs and zags. Interestingly, I never wanted to be an engineer growing up necessarily. I In high school, I wanted to be an architect. I loved drawing. It allowed me to do math. I worked for a small company in high school, and that was what I was going to do. I was going to do that and play volleyball. However, I found out that it takes a five-year school program and an apprenticeship in order to be an architect. And I sat back and I said, there is no way I want to go to college that much. I don't want to do that, right? You're you're going to start to see the irony in my story. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, wait. (laughs) So wait a minute. Doesn't she have a PhD? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that happened. But so I said, gosh, what am I going to do? And I realized I loved math and physics and my father kind of, he's in the engineering world himself. And he's like, you know, you love math, you love designing. Why don't you look at mechanical engineering? And so I said, yeah, okay, that sounds cool. It's just designing things that move rather than structures, houses. 
And so I went off on my way. I had a Division I volleyball uh, full ride scholarship and went and played volleyball and was doing my engineering on the side. And during my sophomore year, I got hurt quite bad. And I was sitting on the x-ray table machine with the fact that, oh my gosh, now I'm not going to be able to go play in the Olympics and life is not fun. This idea popped into my head, which was, you know, there's no way you can play volleyball forever, right? You're going to age out at some point in time anyways. You're now hurt, but you might have to support yourself for your entire life. And I said, ooh. Um, maybe I need to change my priorities. So I started looking at different schools and left my uh, full ride athletic scholarship and was blessed enough to have a full ride academic scholarship going to BYU to finish out my uh, undergraduate. The school I'd gone to was actually quite small, especially in the engineering program probably because the engineering program wasn't that good. But the engineering program, there was only 15 students. And let's be honest, everybody knew me. I was on the volleyball team. I was a big a big fish in a little pond. And I went to uh, Brigham Young University where all of a sudden I was a little fish in a ginormous pond. And I walked into my class and the first class I walked into for mechanical engineering had over a hundred students. And I just remember looking and it was all men. And my professor was a man. And I turned around and I walked out and I'm like, okay, I think I need to like, think about this because that is not what was at my last school, right? This is a little bit crazy. I do not look like these people. I had a, a second there where I was like, okay, am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? Can I succeed at doing this, right? What's going to happen? And I finally said, you know what? I need to buck up. And I need to sit there and go, my competitive nature, I'm a strong person and I'm going to beat these guys, right? I'm going to do this. Now, I did drop that class and took other classes <laughs> to get back in up into there. But that was my first like, wow, I'm the only girl in these classes. That was the start of my entire career was being the only female. Uh, to come back to this idea that, yeah, I only wanted to go to school for five years I ended up getting my master's degree in mechanical engineering and my PhD in mechanical engineering. So I ended up going to college for eight years instead of just the five for an architect. So, you know, yeah. should I have done what I originally thought? Well, I, I don't know. I think being a mechanical engineer is one of the coolest things in the entire world. So I, I, I'm okay with how things worked out up to that point, but it's kind of funny. I did really well in school and academics. I loved it. I ate it up to give background because it's going to talk to you about my story. Not that I like to talk about these things lots of times, but I was really good. I had a 4.0. I was basically the valedictorian for my engineering class. I graduated magna cum laude. I was a National Science Foundation fellowship. Lots of amazing things, right? Well, I get hired by Boeing. 
and I got to work for Boeing Phantom Works, which is also as cool as it sounds. Uh, they're the research division of Boeing. I started my first day, and I was one, the only female out of 200 engineers. I was also about 20 years younger than anybody else in my group. Again, right? I felt the imposter syndrome, this idea that I don't belong. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I do not belong at this table. And I really struggled. I went to work every day afraid that I was going to be fired. I was afraid they were going to find out that I am not as smart as they think I am because I'm not nearly as smart as everybody else. And, ooh, it's, right? I sat in meetings. I didn't give advice. I did my work, and I was a good engineer, but that's it, right? I just did what I was told and tried to not create too many ruffled feathers, do anything, because they were going to find out that I was not as smart as they thought I was. This went on for a couple of years where I just kind of skated by. I remember I'd been working with uh, one of my mentors and talking through this fact that I was just afraid and what was happening and what could I do differently. And I remember I was sitting in a supplier meeting. I remember the exact moment I was sitting there and people were asking all sorts of questions. All of a sudden a question was asked. And I was like, wait a minute, I know the answer to that question. But not only do I know the answer to that question, I am the only person in this room that knows the answer to that question. Oh my gosh, I think I'm an expert in this area. I, I, think, I think I do belong at the table. I, I can provide value. And that switched immediately. I was able to overcome my lack of confidence and the imposter syndrome. And I turned from being an okay employee to an employee that was always asking for different assignments, give me something new. Hey, have we thought about this different? Have we thought about that? Right. I became a valued employee, which allowed me to, one, come to work and not be afraid that I was going to be fired. But I started to get much greater satisfaction about my job. My group started to be more successful. My organization was more successful because I was willing to not only do the work, but be able to sit there and say, hey, let's question this. Let's question that. Let's move forward and find the best solution. As I started to overcome that, and right, there still continues to be throughout my career different little blips of, of lack of confidence and put in situations where, yes, I've been in a situation where I've had to leave a company because I hit the glass ceiling. Yes, I've uh, had to leave an organization because of sexual discrimination. These things have happened and certainly bring up those feelings of, Ooh, wait, am I good enough? Can I really do this? I've been able to find those tools and those ideas as to how to overcome that. But as I was going through that progress, I started to realize that, you know, I love being an engineer. 
don't get me wrong. I think it is cool. I've worked in aerospace, right? I've been a rocket scientist. Not many people can say that. Um, I've worked in the medical device field where I've saved lives. I've worked in the academic and institutions and teaching. You can't do that with many degrees. Yeah. But I started to realize that I enjoy developing people more than developing things. And so I started to kind of turn my career from being a technical individual to somebody that was working with, how can I help other people? What is it that I can do that can help me be most effective with individuals? So I started doing a lot of volunteer activities and reaching out and interacting with, how do we get more kids into STEM fields? How do we get more women into STEM? How do we help just individuals be more successful? It's been kind of an interesting process learning different things and working with different groups of finding ways to help understand what is this idea that people need help with. And for me, it was a big journey. First, I said, well, okay, I want to be a manager at my job. And I loved helping my employees, but I wanted to do more and impact more people. And I loved teaching. And so I started doing adjunct teaching. And that was pretty good. I'm like, hey, maybe I want to do that full time. So I went into academics. Then I realized I hate grading papers. And I'm like, oh, and I don't like the fact that it, I have this cool idea that I want to do with my students or with people. And then it takes, you know, a, a semester or a year to implement. But it was great because it gave me the opportunity to do a couple things. One, my speaking, I started to be able to go and speak for free at different venues for, you know, all sorts of organizations and, and fine tune that talent and understanding pedagogy and researching different methodologies on how you help people not only overcome the imposter syndrome, but different teaching techniques and engagement methodologies. At first I was like, gosh, that was a big detour really those have created some strong foundational things for me that I can now utilize and work with people on, you know, this idea of the imposter syndrome and what they can do to better themselves. One of the interesting statistics is that 70% of people experience the imposter syndrome to some level or another sometime in their life. I'm sure you've probably felt it once or twice in your life, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. And so this idea of, okay, let's let's figure out. And so I've worked really hard to sit there and say, okay, let's figure out what are some methodologies and things that we can put together and how can I help people and what are different ways that I can do that, right? Certainly going and speaking at conferences, that's great. And I can do that and going and training. But I also, I do a lot of volunteer work. Right now, I've just, I'm at six different nonprofits that I work for. And each of these have kind of some different unique aspects about them. Uh, for example, I do a lot of work with uh, very technical societies, uh, my aerospace society and a process and materials organization, where I'm helping work with 
just young engineers and those that have transitioned up and trying to help them overcome this idea that, oh, I don't belong at the table. What can I do? I also, I'm working with a couple of women's organizations. Right now, I'm on the Silicon Slopes board for women in leadership. That's that's a great free resource for a lot of the women that may be interested in, you know, just trying to find ways to network and mentor and create male allyship and, and work on this imposter syndrome and, and have a cohort to help with that. One of my favorites is uh, that I do a lot of volunteer work with is Empower Playgrounds. Empower Playgrounds is a nonprofit gen- uh, developed by a much smarter person than me and much more generous person than me. He did a, a volunteer service organization uh, work for Ghana. While he was there, he realized that rural Ghanaian villages the kids just have no opportunity for education. It's a struggle for them to find ways to get water and food for their very next meal. So it's dire, literally a dire situation for these children and these families out in the rural areas. And uh, he was able to develop the ability to play in order to create learning opportunities. So he developed a merry-go-round that as the children play on the merry-go-round, it generates electricity. And this electricity can empower lanterns, which the students can then use to be able to do their homework when it's dark at night because they have no no light. And it's been super rewarding to work with these, this organization as a whole, but to go out to these kids and see their vivaciousness for life and their excitement and yet their lack of ability to get out of the situation that they're in. And they don't even know they're in such a bad situation. Right. 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 We go through and work with these organizations and these villages to help create this ability for children to go to school. It's done amazing things. Uh, One village, for example, Bahankra started out with about 20 students. We came in and implemented this program, and three years later, there was over 300 students attending school. Uh, My part in that is working with these girls to help them understand the immense opportunities they have if they can get this education. Uh, One of the unique factors that um, there's been a lot of studies on showing that if you teach a man to read, it will better his family because he knows how to read. But if you teach a woman to read, she will teach her family and her community and better the entire village. And so um, I'm really proud of Ben Markham and our organization for realizing that. And so I get to go in and, and try and find and implement ways to help specifically the women of these villages and these girls get educated. And that is just, it's been amazing to be a part of and to see. But, you know, as I sit back and look, yeah, there's been, there's been a few lemons, right? There's never just uh, one lemon. Never one. And, (laughs) and sometimes there's a little nick on our fingers and that lemon gets poured into that Mm -hmm. little nick, that nick heals. And, you know, the, the lemonade portion is, is, I really strongly believe, and my passion is now, how can I help more people 
understand what their potential is and achieve it. I want them to help and give them tools so that whether it's, okay, we need education, whether we need confidence, what is it that I can do? I've found in life that people kind of tend to be one of two ways. The first way is I'm going to push others down so that I can be above everybody else. Or let's lift the entire group up so that we all rise together really want to be that second person and help everybody around me rise up so that, you know, we're filled with that confidence and that idea that, you know what, we have valuable skills. We have, we need to have that confidence that we can be successful so that we can not only help ourselves reach our potential, but that we can help everybody reach their unlimited potential. Mm. As someone who's worked a lot in diversity and inclusion, it's a fact that the more diverse your team is in any aspect, whether that's male, female, religion, age, anything, the more diverse you are, the better your solution is going to be, which affects the bottom line. So one of the things I try and teach is that we need to embrace are complementary strengths. Nobody's going to be strong in everything. And nobody's strong in the same thing, necessarily. So how do we create that team and that group so that we can play off of each other's strengths and different ideas and backgrounds? As the only woman, I wow, it did not take me long to realize how differently I thought than the guys in my group. Mm, Yeah. And I had different experiences. For example, we were working with the development of a new material for airplanes. And this material needed to be created in such a way to be able to manufacture it. It had a wavy sinusoidal pattern of an engineering material. And we're all going, how do we mass produce this in in large quantities, all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, okay, my background is 4-H. I sewed things growing up. And I'm like, wait, fabric. Fabric does this all the time. We just need to go to a fabric manufacturer and figure out that method, see what they did, and convert it over for the manufacturing method of this engineering material. Yeah. Right? Because I had sewing as my background. Right. I was able to help solve a big multi-million dollar engineering problem at Boeing because I was a (laughs) (laughs) 4-H. That's so awesome. Yeah. But luckily you got over that imposter syndrome or you wouldn't have been able to even open your mouth to say that. Like you would have felt so inferior. If if they would have asked me that my first two years, I would not have said anything. I would have just been like, "Hmm, yeah, that's a tough problem, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait to see what you guys not anything. I would have just sat in the corner. Yeah. Yeah. But the whole idea of, okay, now we have confidence in who I am. And let's be honest, not everybody is going to be confident about saying, I did sewing in 4-H when I was a kid and having that confidence allowed me to, to do that most definitely. Amazing. I love this. This is so cool. You're just such an inspiration and I love what you're doing to help women see 
that it's okay to step out of the norm and not do you know, the, the thing that you think, you know, and most people are like, you know, go to high school, go to college, get married, you know, raise the family, maybe have a career if it's something fits in, but you're showing that it's okay to take a different path. It's okay to figure out what you want to do to make you successful. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and this idea of what is it and what are the tools to help you get there? Yeah. Yeah. It's really important for women, no matter where you're at, even if you're a right, even if, and I'm putting air quotes around this because people can't see this, right? Because I think there's nothing cooler than than being a mom and someone that's teaching the next generation, right? Right. It's really important that they also have these skills and that confidence to be able to help their children also have that confidence. Yeah. It sounds like it's just really embracing where you're at and being your best self wherever wherever your path is. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yes. Appreciate this so much. It's been so good to hear your experiences and what you're doing to help others now. And it's amazing. So thank you for sharing this. This is great. Yeah, most definitely. I appreciate you uh, giving me the platform to do that and that you have like this awesome podcast. So it's good stuff. Thank you. You're awesome. You're still here. Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. Funny, because as I think about myself, right, we all have our own images of ourselves. Yeah. And I think of myself actually first and foremost as an athlete. I, I grew up playing sports to no end. Yeah. In fact, I quit playing the piano because I want to be outside playing sports and chasing the ball. Right. And so up until I was a sophomore in college, that's how I defined myself yeah. was as an athlete. That would have been so, really crushing to all of a sudden be like, wait, what now? Who am I? What am I? I'm going to do what? Now what am I going to do? do what? Yeah. Getting your head around that when you thought you were down this one path and this is your passion, what you love and you're good at. And all the things. And now you're like, and then it's like, wait a minute, maybe not. It just, it happens a lot of, okay, here's a new realization of something. And not that that other path wouldn't have been bad. And I maybe could have done something right, but it was just that prompting and that prompting came true. I have had to fend for myself my entire life. So it's all been good. Yeah. I mean, my goodness. I get cool experiences, get to be like on podcasts. Hello. Well, well I know what, what is, that's the top right there, right? <laughs> that's awesome. Well, and just the impact that you're able to make. I just think it's great as you're, as you're using your voice, as you're sharing who you are and your experiences, you're enlightening other people's lives. And that's, there's nothing that compares to that. So that's awesome. Brian, thank you. I have enjoyed spending this time with you. You might have a friend struggling with the same thing that we talked about in this episode that might enjoy listening to this too. So please share this episode because no one is alone at the lemonade stand.